Hey guys, thank you for watching online all over the world. We are honored that you would watch LifePoint Church Services. Our mission statement around here is pointing people to a Christ-centered life, and we want to hear how that's happening through these sermons. So we would love for you to reach out to us through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and tell us how God is moving in your life. Also, if you're a part of this service, but, but you're not close to a local campus, we want to help you get connected to a local body. Please reach out to us, and we will recommend some great churches in your area for you to be a part of. Again, thank you for being a part of LifePoint Church Online, and we hope God blesses you. All right, so we are continuing in uh, the book of John. H how many of y'all uh, saw the eclipse this week? Monday? It feels so long ago, right? That was awesome, right? How great to be already in the path of totality, right? Like we didn't have to drive hours to get there. We kind of saw it in our own backyard, which is really cool. And so uh, what, kind of what we did as a church staff is we, uh, my family came to the church. A lot of the staff families came to church. We went out and, and looked at it. You know, I, I, I duct taped that paper plate to my kid's head, right? So he didn't burn out his eyes. You know, my kid be the one like, ah, you know, like, what are you doing, right? So we duct tape that thing to his head. He's running into things. He's like, well, the eclipse isn't for like 30 more minutes. I don't care here. And uh, so, uh, but man, it's such a cool thing. And it's in totality. And we're looking at him like, what a God thing. Just to look at just the proximity of the sun and the moon to us. And man, just makes you, kind of puts you in your place in that moment. Just seeing the greatness and the wonders of, of God and how he has created the universe to work as it does. And just a, just a cool thing. But I had a couple of thoughts at that moment of totality. I had, I had a few thoughts. One was, how freaked out would you be if you didn't know that was coming? Right? Like thousands of years ago, you just, you know, I, I, just before, like, we have all the things we have, technology we have today, and you're just like, what is happening, <laughs> right? Like, everything just goes dark. You're like, what did I do, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's happening. And then I had the thought of what would happen if the sun was blotted out like that forever? Well, obviously, it would be pandemonium. I mean, we, it would go crazy. A stock market would crash. The, there would be looting. I mean, there would be, I mean, food would stop growing. All, all these kinds of things. It would just be nuts. And praise God, that's not a reality for us. But I begin thinking through of uh, the, the real nature of how our world sits in a spiritual darkness, like we saw at that moment of the eclipse. It's just a, a, a darkness that sits over the hearts of mankind. Now, this darkness started in the garden with Adam and Eve. If you remember, God created all things, the world, man, everything, perfect as he wanted it. And he gave them one rule. That one rule was don't eat the fruit from that tree. And they messed that up, right? One rule, get it right, guys, right? Uh, but in reality, if we would have been there, we would have done it too, probably a little quicker. And so here, Adam and Eve, they take the fruit, which uh, enters sin into the hearts of humanity from them, trickling all the way down throughout time to us and our children and their children and their children, to which we live in this world of full of sin, full of darkness. And that happened because of the fall of mankind in the garden. Now, uh, a couple of things that uh, we, we need to come to an understanding on is when, when the fall happened, uh, uh, it, it sent the world spiraling away from God. 
And we talked last week about how, uh, you know, John had talked the first five verses. And in there, he talked about Jesus, the word, being the light of the world, right? And so he's talking about Jesus being the light. And, and he's talking about that light coming into uh, the darkness. And so uh, what, you, what you have happening in, in, in this spiritual darkness set upon us by, by Adam and Eve is you have God still saying, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bring light. And so he's talking about Jesus being the light of the world. He's setting up that we are a world full of darkness. And we talked last week about how it's not, uh, darkness is not the, uh, not the opposite of light, but it's the absence of light. So it's evil. It's void of God, void of the word, void of light. It's void of him. And so all darkness, all sin is, is void of God. So that's why I have evil and hatred and violence and racism and you name it. That's why we sit where we sit because of the fall of mankind. We sit in a, in a dark, dark world. And, and our world spins all kinds of time and money and energy and effort trying to fix that darkness, right? We try to educate more. If we just educate, if we just keep educating people, it will eradicate the darkness. No, it won't. Well, if we just spend money, some people think if, I, if we do less government or more government or, or if we just make it a political thing, we'll fix the darkness. Now, we have spent as, as humanity uh, so much time, money, energy, effort trying to solve the problem of darkness. But here the scripture says there is only one solution to the problem of darkness. And that, that solution is light. And there's only one light. And that light is Jesus. Jesus alone is the light of the world. And so that's what we have going in the scriptures here. And when we're talking through the gospel of John, remember, we have said that this book is evangelistic in nature. That means John is writing this so that you might see that Jesus is a light and you might believe upon him and be saved. That's why he's writing this thing. That's why he's writing the gospel. And, that, and that's why he is bearing witness to, to the light. He's bearing witness to who Jesus is, and he's going to talk about John the Baptist, which we're going to talk about in a moment, who also is bearing witness about the light. Now, a couple of defining things before we dive in. There's two Johns here. There's the Apostle John, who was a disciple of Jesus and who, who walked with him throughout his ministry, was the disciple whom Jesus loved, who, who wrote the Gospel of John, right? Then there's John the Baptist, who we'll talk about. Those are two different Johns, just so we're clear. When I first became a Christian, I had no clue that there were two different Johns. So I was super confused. So when I refer to John the Baptist, uh, I will say John the Baptist or JB or, you know, something like that. All right. If I just say John, unless I mess up, I'm talking about the Apostle John that wrote the book, just so we're clear. All right. So let's dive in. We're going to read 6 through 18 today, but I'm going to start in the first two uh, verses. And our bottom line for today, just so you got it, and we'll talk more about this, but it's witness the word. Uh, uh, witness the word. And, and you'll, you'll see uh, why in just a moment. Let's read the first two verses. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Okay, so after establishing Jesus as the light in the first uh, five verses of the Bible, John shifts gears to begin talking about the beginning of Jesus's public uh, ministry. And so a couple things about John the Baptist, all right? 
John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. If you remember the story in some of the other Gospels that have the birth narrative, you have John the Baptist's mom, Elizabeth, and Mary were related. So uh, Elizabeth was well past uh, childbearing years, and uh, she was barren, and God gave her a son, John the Baptist. Uh, he was older than Jesus. Jesus, uh, God, uh, uh, miraculous uh, conception with Mary. Uh, she is the mother of Jesus. And if you remember, Mary travels to visit Elizabeth. And when they get together, John the Baptist leaps in the womb. Can you just going nuts in the womb? Like, uh, and the scripture talks about how John the Baptist being the only child in which the Holy Spirit was with him in the womb. That's cool. A whole nother sermon. But here, so you have this uh, relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist before they ever uh, come out of the womb. They're together in, in that kind of capacity. And, and a cool, just uh, again, cool pregnancy story. You have, Mary, uh, you have Elizabeth, who's too old uh, to be pregnant. And you have Mary, who's too young, really, too innocent to be pregnant. And, and God using both of these stories to bring him great fame and glory. It's just an incredible uh, story. Uh, uh, John the Baptist was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Several places, but I'll just read to you one. This is Malachi 3.1 that says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. So John the Baptist's mission is clear. He's coming. He's paving the way for Christ. And if you remember, he's, he's setting the scene for him. He's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. There's one coming that I'm not even worthy to untie. His sandals. He, he, Jesus is coming. And so John the Baptist's job was to let everyone know that they can believe in Christ. They can have life in Christ. It's the original live sent here, right? Like he's, he's living sent for, for Jesus. He's, he's, he's telling people about the gospel. Gospel, and he's a witness uh, to Christ. He's a witness to the world. Now, we don't know a whole, just like Jesus, we don't know a whole lot about his early life. The first time John the Baptist comes on the scene, uh, he, he kind of comes to us in this, uh, this guy that looks like he had a wild night at Bonnaroo. I mean, he's, uh, he, he's, he's, he's wearing uh, clothes made out of camel hair. He's eating locusts dipped in honey. And you're like, uh-huh. <laughs> Who is this guy, right? And so here's John the Baptist coming on the scene, and he's like this whacked out dude. And so, so unshaven, uh, wild character of a fella, right, that had been in the desert. He's like homeless guy. He's like this crazy guy. And, and, and then you're like, when you read the Bible, you're like, God, I know you can use all people, but really, like, this is John. Now, John the Baptist makes, uh, uh, goes out of his way to say, I am not the light. And you want to think, did anyone around you think you were? <laughs> right? Like, bro. But, but here he is. He's saying, I'm not the light. I'm giving testimony to the one that is the light. He's coming, right? So he's paving the way for Christ. He, he's, he, he's saying uh, that... Uh, he is the one reflecting the light. And he was just making sure that no one was like hitching their wagon to him, right? He was like, no, 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 I'm not the light. He is the light. Now, I love this about John the Baptist because what he's doing, he's witnessing the word. He's witnessing to the light. He's witnessing about the light. What he is doing is what all of us should be doing. Now, here's what I love. All believers in Christ, if you claim Christ, this is what John the Baptist is doing that we should also be doing. He is saying, it's not about me. Nothing about this is about me. Matter of fact, all of me is about him. 
all of me is about witnessing about him, sharing about him, telling people about him, raising my children in him, spending my time, money, energy, passions on him, all of me about him. And any good preacher or worship leader worth his salt will stand on a stage and say, nothing about this is about me. It's all about all of us pointing to him. And so this is what John the Baptist is doing. This is what all believers should be doing, that we are a people that witness about the light. We are not the light. As if you needed convincing of that, we give witness to him, the light. We say, you are the great God. You are our Savior. You are the one who's worthy of our worship. You and you alone. This is what all believers are to be doing. Now, one of the things I find fascinating about this text is the timing for which John the Baptist is introduced. Because the first five verses, you have him talking about the eternality of Jesus. Then you talk about him being the light. Then it's introduction of John. And then Jesus being the light again. And then talking about John the Baptist again. And you're like, okay. Uh, the thing I find fascinating is why did John the Apostle put it in this particular uh, order? And I think it's because of this. I think uh, that... The way God works is that he sovereignly uses humanity to spread his fame. That's how he works. Think about it. Jesus, he could have introduced himself in any way he wanted to. Right? John the Baptist out there baptizing normal Joes in the water. Jesus could have just walked out and just walked on the water. What's up, y'all? I'm God. He didn't. What did he do? And, and later in the scriptures, uh, we'll see as we get to it that the Holy Spirit revealed unto John the Baptist who Jesus was. And so John the Baptist was the one paving the way for Christ. Why? Because God uses humanity to spread his name and his fame. He uses us for a particular purpose. That's why we continue to say all the time around here, you're not just saved to be silent. You're saved to be used for the purposes of the kingdom of God. You are saved to herald the good news about Jesus, to, to, to witness about the word and about the light. That's what John the Baptist is doing. That's what we are to be doing, right? Jesus didn't need a hype man. He didn't need one. And he didn't, definitely didn't need one that looked like John the Baptist. But he, he had one. He used John to proclaim his coming. And it's the same for us. We are to be essentially hype men for, for, or women for Jesus. We're to be saying, yo, that's what a hype man does, yo, yo. Look at how great Jesus is. Look at how much grace he's lavished upon our lives. Look at what he's done for us. He is the light in a dark world. We, we are to continuing to be letting our lives, our words, everything about us give witness to him. That's how he used John the Baptist. That's how he uses us as well. For his name's sake, his glory's sake. He doesn't need us, but by his grace, he uses us. And that's a beautiful thing. All right, let's read on. 9 through 13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
All right, a couple things here. Now, now, hear me. I, we're going through 6 through 18. There's really like three or four sermons in this text. I'm flying by all of them. You're probably like, thank you. you know, like, uh, but there's a lot of content here. So if you go back and read it, just chew on it. It's really good. But one thing you're going to see here is um, Jesus demands a response. He demands a response. Now, uh, not everyone, and really most everyone, does not respond positively. The scripture here says uh, that his own did not know him. He came into creation, and creation rejected him. Like, uh, so here you, you have, again, a rejection of Christ. And most people, we know from scripture, reject Jesus. Uh, Matthew says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And, and there are many on it. But, but narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few find it. And that, that's not a cute saying. That is a reality. That few find Christ. Most will reject. Most. But some will find life. And we see Jesus comes to his own. They did not know him. Now, now it says uh, that he gave light to everyone. What does that mean? I, he's not talking about... Um, that he saves everyone. He, he's not talking about that he gives his light without exception. He's saying that he gives light without distinction, which, which means that all people are without excuse. This is Romans 1, that all uh, people can, can see the, uh, the, the, the marvelous mysteries of Christ throughout the world, throughout all of their lives. Uh, uh, I mean, you look at the eclipse and you can see that there's a a creator behind all of that. God is constantly putting himself on display so that all men are without excuse. And Jesus is saying here, I've shined my light to all men without distinction. But there are some things that have to happen for you to be called uh, to, to be a child of God, which we'll get to in, in a moment. Now, John is saying here that, that God, who is eternal, he came to his own people and his, his people rejected him. They, they looked at him and he said, this Jesus can't be God. Now, we look back on them and we, we scoff, right? We say, how could they not know that? Well, listen, remember how Jesus comes on the scene. Uh, he's not as whacked out looking as John the Baptist, but he is homeless. He says, I don't have a place to lay my head. He's unemployed, right? Uh, he's He's, uh, this is Jesus. And so he's walking and he's from a town called Nazareth, which uh, Nazareth was like, uh, like the scripture says, what good can come out of Nazareth? Like it was a, this looked down upon city. And so here's Jesus of Nazareth, homeless, jobless, walking up on the scene saying, I'm God. We're like, and we're going to judge people for thinking he's crazy. That's what's going on here. And so the Jews were really like, no, 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 this is not right. This is not right. Now, let me back up and give you some context. The Jews were hoping for a Messiah that was completely different looking than the, than the real Messiah. The Jews, remember, they were under the oppression of the Roman government at the time. They were looking for a military leader. They were looking for someone with political power to come and, and, and make things right again, right? They, they wanted uh, uh, just a military war hero who would come and, and, and make Israel great again, right? That's what they were wanting, right? Uh, they were wanting someone to come and rebuild the Jerusalem wall and make the Romans pay for it, right? <laughs> just making sure you're with me. Uh, that's what they were wanting. They were wanting someone to rise up, you know, just soldier, warrior on a horse, and come and 
with force take everything back. And that is uh, not what they got. That's not what they got. They wanted someone, basically, they wanted someone to come and make life easier for them. They didn't understand the spiritual significance of our Savior. They wanted someone to, to ease their political strife. Now, again, we look back and we say, ha, ah, I can't believe they would do that. But we do this all the time. We impart things upon Jesus that aren't really the biblical Jesus. There are tons of people in our culture that believe in a Jesus that is not the biblical Jesus. They want a Jesus that's going to make their life easy. They want a genie in a bottle, really, that's, that comes when they need help, that gives them more money, makes their life more comfortable, gives them the American dream, the white picket fence, the 2.5 kids, the nice dog and the playground in the back. They, they want life to be easy, and they want death to be easy and escape hell, and that's the Jesus they want. But that is not the biblical Jesus. The biblical Jesus that we find all throughout the Scripture is the, is the one that says, uh, if, if you want to follow me, you will die to yourself. Well, they didn't like that. And we don't like that. Die to myself? Whoa, all of my life has been about me. And you want me to set that aside? Jesus says, if you follow me, your life's probably not going to be better. He says, they hated me. Will they not also hate you? He said, you will suffer for the name of Christ. These are the things that he told the people. And so obviously you can see why they would say, no, 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 no. That's not the Messiah we were expecting. We were expecting someone much different. We were expecting someone who would take and give us ease of life. Give us political power. We were expecting something different. And Jesus says, no, if you want to be my disciple, here's what I do. I lower myself to the position of foot washer. And I serve. He says, the, you want to be first? Well, then put yourself last. You want to be greatest in the kingdom? Then you serve. This is the upside-down kingdom that Jesus was bringing. And it was not the political power that the Jews wanted. And it's oftentimes not the Lord that we want. Now, the key to that statement, I said, not the Lord that we want. You know, being Lord means that Jesus is boss and master. He tells us what to do. We don't tell him what to do. And so, a part of him being our Lord and Savior, if he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior. If he's not your master, your boss, the one whom you follow, then he's not your Savior. And, and this is what, this is the dichotomy that's happening in, uh, when Jesus is walking on the earth and, 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 and it's still happening for us today. And the greatest tragedy I think that any of us could, could uh, come to is get to the end of our life and realize we were worshiping a Jesus that was not the biblical Jesus. That we were worshiping some health and wealth Jesus that was not the true Jesus. And so that's why it's important for us to know who he was. That's why I love that we're going through the book of John because we're going to continue to see who he is. Now, let's, let's move on. I'm clearing off a spot up here and preaching now. Listen. Uh, it says this. It says, but not all rejected. 
Okay, so basically there was a remnant of people that turned to him. Not, not everybody rejected, but then he says, but those who believe, he gave them the right to become children of God. He gave them the right to become children of God. Now, you might be thinking, now hold on, David. I thought everybody was a child of God. No, not everyone is a child of God. Uh, it, now, in a sense, everyone is the creation of God. Everyone is, is accountable to its creator, but not everyone is a child of God. That is a right to be given to us by God himself. And so it's the doctrine of adoption. When you come to Christ and you... you uh, uh, are given the gift of faith and repentance and you are saved by God. He, he makes you a child of God, a, a co-heir with Christ. This is what it means to be a child of God. And you want uh, some biblical evidence of that is you remember when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says to them, upon having some debate with them, he finally gets to the point because they're lying about something. He says, you are of your father, the devil. So obviously he's saying unto a people, your father is not God, making you not children of God. Your father's of someone else. And it's not God. And so not all, we are not by default children of God. We are by default creation of God, but he gives us the right to be called children of God by believing upon Jesus and the cross, right? And then he says, they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, a lot here. Again, I could do a whole sermon here. Um, not of blood. Okay, obviously this is stripping Jews of all their Jewishness because they thought salvation came ethnically. They thought because they were Jewish, they were good with God. And so this is saying, no, 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 no. Just because you're Jewish doesn't make you good with God. And if you remember to Romans where, uh, where Paul says, not all Israel is true Israel. He was killing the fact that just by being Jewish made you right with God. And so he's saying, you are saved by believing in Christ, not by the blood, right? Then he says, not by the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. So you're not, you're not saved because of your ethnicity. Now, I know there's probably very little of this, but there used to be some cultural concepts, especially in the Bible Belt, which was my grandmama saved, therefore I'm good to go with God, right? If my grandmama went to church and my great uncle went to church, surely God's going to let me in, right? Well, that's not the case. Everyone is responsible unto God, accountable unto God, right? So not by the will of blood, not by blood, not by the will of flesh, nor the will of man. What he's saying here as well is you can't be good enough to get into heaven. You can't desire it enough. You, you, you can't do enough good or right things for God to say, okay, you've cleaned up enough. Let me let you into heaven. Can't, can't be done. Matter of fact, the scripture refers to our righteousness, the good deeds that we can muster. At best, they are filthy rags. And so our righteousness in its own self is not a righteousness at all. And it's definitely not a righteousness that would merit us heaven. And so what he's saying here is that you are born, spiritually born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Our rebirth, which we'll get to when we get to John 3, that we must be born again to be a Christian. Our rebirth is a spiritual rebirth. It, 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 it is, we are saved because God has saved us. Now, a great way for us to grasp this is when we stand before the Father, and theoretically, if he were to ask us, I'm not saying this is how it's going to go, but theoretically, if he were to ask us, why should I let you into heaven? Would your response be, oh, because I wanted you. 
Or, hey, I figured it out. I was smart enough to figure this thing out. I, 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 I was raised in a Christian home, and therefore I, I, I deserve and get, yeah, I figured it out. I can, I, I, that's why I get to get into heaven. No, none of us would say that. We would stand before God, and when God says to us, why should, again, theoretically, if he were to say to us, why would I let you into heaven? We would say, I don't know. The only way that I could get into heaven is if Jesus has taken my place. It's not by my upbringing. It's not by my desires or what I willed. It's not what I wanted. It's it's what he has done for me. It's not because I was good enough. It's not because I I, I was a, a good boy scout or whatever. It's because he did for me. And this is the way we are saved. It's by the grace of God. We are born of God that he reaches down and says, you are mine. I'm saving you. I'm taking you to be uh, my own. Now, John 3, 6 later says that flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. Why is John saying this? He's saying that all of our salvation, every part of it, 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 it is, is accredited to God so that we can't boast on our own. We can't boast in ourselves. All of our salvation is a boasting in what God has done for us. It's a boasting that he has opened our eyes so that we can see the light. That he has brought our dead heart to life. Remember Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Do you know what a dead heart does? Nothing. It does nothing. And until God comes and regenerates our heart and gives it life, do we have the capacity to to move towards faith, which Scripture says is a gift, and repentance, which Scripture says is a gift. So these are the things that are birthed in us. We didn't have any decision in our first natural birth. We, We don't in our spiritual birth. He comes in and he does it all in us. It's not because of us, not because we're good enough. It's all glory be to God that he loved you and he saved you. That's why the children of God say, hey, none of this is about me. It's all about him. I'm going to continue to point to him, the the, the giver of the greatest gifts, namely salvation. Uh, All right, let's let's move on because I got a lot to go and a little bit of time to get there. Uh, Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen uh, his glory, uh, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, John says the word became flesh. This is the incarnation. This is God putting on flesh and dwelling among his people. A couple of things here. This is the doctrine of the, again, the incarnation, but it's also uh, the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union is a big word that just means God, uh, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. How that math works out, we're not entirely sure, but we believe it in faith, right? He's fully God and fully man uh, in Christ, right? And so th- this is what, when God put on flesh and dwelt among us, he was both fully God and fully man. And, and then he says, and dwelt among us, which I want to I reference where we've been. Uh, if you were here during Exodus, if not, you can go back and, and listen to it. But we spent a couple of weeks dealing with, uh, if, if you remember, God saves the Israelites out of Egypt, brings them into the desert, and then gives them instructions on how to build a tabernacle, basically a tent, that God is going to reside in. That God is saying, hey, uh, uh, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up tent right next to you. I'm going to be your neighbor. I'm going to put my Eno in this thing and, and, and camp here. And this is where I'm going to be. 
And, and so the scripture says that he tabernacled with them. He dwelt among his people. Well, now God, the very presence and the glory of God is moving from a tent and then later a temple to moving into the body of Jesus. And so when he says that God would put into Christ, uh, oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, that Jesus was a God into humanity, into human flesh and blood. This was the power and the glory and the presence of God tabernacling um, uh, with his people through the body of Christ. So he's no longer living in a tent, no longer living in a temple. At this point, he, uh, at this point the glory and the presence of God is in the body of Christ. Right? And so he's dwelling among us. He's tabernacling among us. God uh, in the flesh and blood walking uh, along with us, which is a huge act of humility. If you read Philippians, he lowered himself. He humbled himself to take on our agony, to take on pain, to, to, to take on suffering, to take on betrayal, to take on crucifixion and death. He, he humbled himself to to, to, to our level so that we uh, might have a great and sympathetic Savior to us. That's what he has done. Again, a great, a great grace uh, on our life. And so, uh, yeah, so, he, so, so he's saying that uh, he's living among us. Now let's read 15 through 18, finish out the passage, because I want to springboard off of that to this. He says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. All right, a couple of things here. John says, uh, he says, uh, he who comes after me ranks before me. What he's saying is, uh, I'm older than him. He's saying, hey, uh, remember I was born first. John the Baptist, I, he's saying, I was born first. Uh, and he was, he was older than Jesus. But what John the Baptist says is, but he is, uh, he, he, says, uh, he says, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. What, what John is saying here, John the Baptist is saying here, again, is Jesus has always been. He is eternal. Uh, he, when he was born in, uh, in the flesh, that was not the beginning existence of Jesus. Jesus has always been, right? December 25th, arguably, was not the birthday of the Son of God. He has always been, and he will always be. He is eternal in nature. Before creation even existed, you had the Godhead, the Trinity. You had God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all in perfect community with one another. One God, in essence, three persons. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, right? And, 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 and God the Son puts on a body, and John the Baptist saying, hey, I might be older, but he ranks before me because he has always been. He has always been. I'm not really older. Really, he's way older. He has always been. And so John, again, giving testimony to the eternality of, of Christ. And, and then John says, <coughs> from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Uh, we've all received blessing upon blessing, mercy 
upon mercy, forgiveness upon forgiveness. We have, we have seen God's hand in our lives through various means. As believers, we've seen it through salvation and through common graces. You don't have to be saved, though, to have common graces and blessings poured out on your life. Uh, lost people have children and experience love and relationships, marriage. Uh, lost people experience blessings from God, but, but only those that are the children of God experience the greatest graces that he gives us, namely his uh, salvation. And so uh, uh, one thing I want to spend a little bit of time here is uh, he says that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus. Now, uh, I want to argue for a moment that the giving of the law was super gracious on God's part. Super gracious on his part. Now, if you've got any church background, you'd be like, well, I thought that that was uh, not what saved us. You're right. The law does not save us. But it was still a great movement of grace on God's part to show us how to live in a way that would honor him. Now, None of us can meet that standard. So the grace that the law affords us is that when we look into the law of grace and see how we don't measure up, it points us to the need and dependency upon a Savior. That is a great grace. The greatest grace, one of the greatest graces you can have given to you is for God to show you how awful you are. And when you begin to see how awful you are and how much of a need you have for a Savior so that you will step into that, lean into that, that's great grace. That is grace that we look at our lives and see our depravity and see our need for a Savior is a great grace uh, on our lives. Now, some of you might say, yeah, but we don't live by the law anymore. We live by grace. Uh, Technically true, but... We just sang a song that said, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Okay? Then that makes us say, all right, well, then what was Jesus like? Well, here's what Jesus was like. He was perfect. He fully obeyed the law. He lived in perfect obedience to the Father. So when we say we want to be like Jesus, we're not saying, hey, we want to go around and sprinkle fairy dust on everybody and give everybody hugs. No, it's not this airy, cute saying. It's I want to be obedient to the Father like Jesus was obedient to the Father. I want to be sacrificial in my life as Jesus was sacrificial in his life. I want to be obedient to the law as Jesus was obedient to the law. The only way we can be obedient to the law, here's another grace, is that he gives to his children the Holy Spirit, putting the power of God in you to be even able to accomplish some of the law. But it's not in your own power, it's in his own power. So all of this is the grace and the mercy of God on your life. The giving of the law, the you realizing you can't fulfill the law, and then him providing Jesus for you to fulfill the law. This is how heaven works. Another thing about the law, because we like to throw it out and say it's not worth anything, but it really is. Matter of fact, when you get to heaven, what you will be judged on is the law. You'll be lined up next to the standards of God and see how you measure up. Now, for those who are saved, those who are found in Christ, what happens is that Christ substitutes himself with us and he has fully fulfilled the law. And God says, all right, because you have fully fulfilled the law by being covered by Jesus, you are allowed into heaven. 
Those who don't have the covering of Christ on their life will be judged by the law and be found wanting. And God would say, you have failed the law. And therefore, you will take the just punishment of breaking the law. Now, remember, the law is not, it's, it's, it's not a bell curve, which I don't know. I, I'm, that's the only way I made it through school was the bell curve, right? It, when dealing with the law, a 99 is a fail. It, the scripture says if you've broken any portion of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of it. So if you're a liar, then you're guilty of adultery, idol worship. You're guilty of breaking all of it. And so if you don't have the covering of Christ, then you will have to bear the weight of breaking the law on your own self. That's why we say we need Jesus. He's our Savior. What does he save us from? He saves us from God's righteousness by being the righteousness that we need to stand rightly before God. This is what Jesus saves us from. He has saved us from the wrath of God on our due sin. That's what he saves us from. And so what John is saying here, both John the Apostle and John the Baptist, is they're both giving great praise, witness to all the many graces of Jesus. And so John, uh, John uh, the Baptist is saying, or John the Apostle is saying, the law was grace, but Jesus is grace upon grace. What does it mean? Well, obviously, Jesus is the greater grace. He gave us the law to show us our need for a Savior. Then he sovereignly provided for us a Savior. So not only does he make the rules, but he makes our way of fulfilling those rules through Jesus and Jesus alone. And so what all of this culminates into are lives that are poured out for the, the witnessing of the great grace of God. And so John the Baptist and John the Apostle both are proclaiming with their lives that they're saying, all of my life is not about me. All of my life is for Jesus and Jesus alone. That's, that's what they're doing. They're witnessing about God. They're witnessing about the world. They're sh shining forth the light of God. They're saying, hey, 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 there is a light. He's here. His name is Jesus. There is a hope for the darkness. It is only in Christ. There, there is a way to be saved and to be right with God. It's only in Jesus. This is what John the Baptist and John the Apostle are both screaming with their lives. And I think it's what Scripture is demanding of us if you are a child of God. That every aspect of your life, every piece of it, to be spent out making much of God. How does your life do that? Do you do that? Are you just living to make it? Or are you accomplishing the purpose for which God has saved you? To herald the good news. The scripture calls you ministers of reconciliation. It says that you will shine the light. You're the salt of the earth. It says to go into all nations making disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is your purpose for being saved. Do you do it? That's the question for all of us. How can we continue to herald the good news about Jesus? How can we continue to witness about him in our workplace, at the ball field, to our children, to our family members, brothers, sisters, 
moms, dads. How can we continue? Now, we don't have to praise God. We don't have to wear camel clothes and eat locusts. But we still have the same responsibility to make much of Christ in our life. To make much of Christ with everything we are about and everything we do. So do you witness about the word? Witness about God in your life? I think that's what John would plead with us to do. Uh, Let's take a moment and pray. Jesus, you are worthy of everything. All of our lives spin out to make much of your name and give glory to all that you've done, proclaiming your graces that you've lavished upon us to every ear that will listen. You're worthy of that. And God, I know we get so caught up just in, uh, just in day-to-day. Just, just in ourselves, really, that we forget the purpose for which we have life in Christ, to know you and to make, much, uh, to, to make you known. Disciple heralds the good news. That's what we do. So help us, Father, uh, to do those things. Help us to be um, children of God that shine forth about the light of Jesus. We live in a dark world that needs the hope of the light of God. And uh, they continue to wander in the darkness, and until the light shines, they won't be able to see. And so, God, would you help us to shine that light forth? I I know there are hearts and lives in here dealing with all kinds of different issues. Maybe some medical issues, financial issues, relational issues. These are often distractions to keep us from our purpose. So, Father, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us eyes to see? All of our days are meant to live out the light and the glory of God. Pray you would make us witnesses of your grace. Help us to shine forth who you are, to tell our kids about who you are, to tell our neighbors about who you are, to tell our coworkers. I pray you would move in us in that way, Father, that we would be as bold as John the Baptist. We would be as passionate as the Apostle John. Would you help us to shine forth your light? The fact that God has come to man, has put on flesh, and has paid the penalty for their sin. This is the greatest news. And so, Father, would you move in us in that in a mighty way? Christ's name we pray. Amen.